Welcome to Reactive. My name is Henning Glattegutz, and I'm here with Raquel Velez today. Hi, everyone. Hello. So uh, Khalil is um, yeah. he's uh, he's Munich in Munich somewhere. Yeah, he's, he's on assignment. He's 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 Münchening, That's or right. as I like to say, Munchening. Oh, like, there you go. Like like a Munchkin, except <laughs> he's not that short. Although I don't know, I've never actually. I haven't actually sat stood in the same room as the two of you before, so I don't actually know how tall or short you are. I think Khalil is a little taller than I am, and than I am, and he and I'm six two. Oh so, wow! Yeah. All right, so he's very much not a munchkin. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, Khalil's gonna laugh when he hears this. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I guess he's so there for work, so we'll we'll hear next yeah. week what's what's happening. But uh yeah, yeah what what's uh I don't know. It's um it's a strange week. It's super short and we're recording yes. this on Thanksgiving, which neither of us are fully doing today, so Right. Um right. I had uh so I, I have this reminder um that it's Christmas really, really soon. Every morning when I get up, I look out the window and my neighbors have put up decorations on their balcony and oh one of them is they they meant i'm sure they think it's fun and nice and everything but it's horrendous i mean it's like it's painful because it's santa and it's supposed to be parachuting santa i think so just imagine <laughs> there's this stuffed little santa hanging from four ropes you know it's supposed to be a parachute just, just think about he should have a harness on his shoulders and then his hands up with the steering lines. Well, no, it's he has his hands hanging on the main lines. That's what it looks like. And it's like as if he was strung up with his hands behind his back and then pulled up. Oh, no. It looks horrible, as if, he, as if he was being tortured or something. So every oh, every morning I'm like, oh, I have to go save Santa. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's terrible to see that. Oh, no. Anyway. All right, quick, make a harness so that it's a little bit more obvious what's yeah. going on. Oh, my gosh. It looks terrible. Like like his shoulders are dislocated oh. or something, you know. Oh, no. Anyway. Yeah, people have already started putting up lights around here, too. I don't know. I'm... When I when I was growing up, my uh, my dad put up lights around our house, and he was like, "This is the sh biggest pain in the butt, <laughs> like putting all of these lights up and everything." And so one year, he just decided, "I'm not taking them down." Oh no! And so we had lights year round when I was growing up because my dad was just like, "This is silly." Like, you know, Christmas should be every day of the year anyway, right? Like. <laughs> And so, like, I just remember being like, okay, it's Christmas time, so let's plug the lights in. And so you just kind of plug them in and just walk outside and see which ones are broken and which ones are <laughs> So. Yeah, I wonder what's what was more work, though, is taking them down and putting them back up or fixing everything. Oh, see, you're assuming that we actually did fix them. Oh, oh Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't remember if we did. I think, I think, like if they were like on the front, maybe we did, or like if there were a lot of them, we we would fix them. When but it's, it's really obvious, I guess. Huh? Yeah, it yeah, was, okay. it was hilarious. I was just like, I would always be the kid. Like everyone, like whenever I like invited somebody over, 
like as a kid for like a sleepover or something, you'd be like, I'm in the blue house on the corner, the one with the Christmas lights. <laughs> and they're like, but it's June. And I'm like, yep, the one with the Christmas lights. <laughs> Easy to find. Oh, That's good. Yeah. Have you... Have you seen those, um, like, speaking of, of, you know, Christmas time, have you seen those YouTube videos of people who've, like, programmed their lights oh, to, like, yes. go to music and stuff? Total insanity. Yeah, it's amazing. I, so I live in the Bay Area. I feel like somebody around here must do that. And by somebody, I, I mean, like, half the people, like, like there's got to be, like, some large percentage where a large percentage is like 3% of the population as opposed to like half of a percent, would do that around here. But I haven't actually seen anyone do it yet. Hmm. So I'm going to have to like ask around. Yeah. You would think some hardware folks would come up with some fancy stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just, <clears throat> uh, yeah, hmm. it's really fun to find the like, the parts of the neighborhood, like, because there's always like one set of streets or something where like two neighbors are having a light off <laughs> some sort yeah. of competition. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We did that one when, when you still lived in Florida, we drove through the neighborhoods and you'd see the, you'd find the ones that were definitely competing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. So anyway. yeah. Anyway. Um, so what's new in tech? Well, uh, yeah, I have not been looking a lot, but the one thing I saw, I think, is the same thing that you um, had noted, which was really surprising um, and interesting. The uh, right. the WordPress story. Yeah, totally. I mean, actually, yeah, that's that's kind of it. Just occurred to me, like you're you're our Mister PHP, <laughs> and and here I am, like. You know, hey, Node is the hot thing, and now like one of the largest PHP projects on the internet is transitioning over yeah. to Node. I mean, how cool is that? So, for the listeners who might not have heard, uh, WordPress has decided to has has uh, decided to move over to Node at least for WordPress.com on the admin console, is my understanding. Yep. Um. But. There's still plenty more. Like I imagine, all of the pages and stuff are still PHP, right? Like, yeah, I think I think the core is is obviously still PHP. I didn't. I was going to read the the detailed stuff, but they they've promised more blog posts to um, explain more of the technical aspect of it. Unfortunately, I didn't find anything yet because the thing I was interested in is how did they how did they implement the API? Because essentially. They, you know, they built an API into WordPress, at least the admin part of it, and then they're using Node, React, and one of the Uxes. I don't know if it's Flux or Redux, um, mm. and built the entire, you know, admin panel. And I guess what you can do now is you can, you know, administer all of your WordPress sites from one control panel. And um, yeah, it's it's really really fancy now, I guess, since it's in mm -hmm. um, a newer technology. And it used to just have you know JavaScript sprinkled into it. And uh, but there is no no information yet on on the API. So I wonder if they they built that in Node. I didn't mm -hmm. look at the code either, and or if they built it in PHP and are exposing it that way. So that's something I, I'm really interested in, like to see. Yeah, definitely. Well, especially because uh, 
so my husband and I were talking about it last night, like, because some people are like, oh, well, then this means that, like, they're eventually going to move everything over to Node, right? And it's like, well, I don't know that that makes sense because it's such a large project and it's, and it's so all over the place. Like, I mean, in particular, WordPress.com versus WordPress.org, right? Like, .org is the thing that allows you to uh, create your own WordPress instance and then deploy it however way you want uh, or, like, on whatever you know, deployment servers, whatever, Amazon or DigitalOcean or whatever. And WordPress.com is just their self-hosted type stuff. Um, so it makes sense to me that they would do the admin panel on .com because nobody else is using that. Like that's, it's since it's self-hosted, um, or sorry, since WordPress hosted hosts it, then they can do whatever they want with that. But I imagine that like, because I, I can't imagine having a one-click upgrade WordPress to node button like currently exists. Right. Um, yeah. That would be interesting to see because the too. whole, the whole ecosystem is what makes it so amazing too, or what right. made it so successful. And that is basically all the, you know, the plugin makers and uh, yeah, I don't think they would, you know, abandon that or it wouldn't make sense to switch all that out right away. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. But it is it is interesting. I mean, they have a they have a Mac app now. That's I guess an Electron app that uh, you can install or download onto your your desktop, and um, that t- then hooks into the uh, the API and lets you administer. So I don't know if it's if there's a hosted version of the the UI, or if it's just the the actual application that you install on your on your Mac. But um, <clears throat> I found it really really interesting that. They they took this um, this plunge and it took them I think over a year mm-hmm. to do this, and this is a pretty yeah. I guess um, I don't know difficult and maybe risky kind of thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a good idea or probably good idea that they you know restricted it to the admin panel first, and I'll be really curious to see where they go from here. Yeah, definitely. And they open sourced the whole thing too as well, so it's. Uh, I think the the library or the yeah it's called Calypso, mm-hmm. and you can basically go and check that out right now on GitHub. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that's really, really fascinating how how companies are making these decisions. Like, um, I got to hear a talk last week. Um, about microservices and kind of like the transition that companies are making from monolithic apps to microservices. And I think that's a really interesting conversation as well. Because you could argue that WordPress is a bit of a monolithic application. Um, Definitely. It, just yeah. like each each WordPress installation <clears throat> is its own monolith of just, oh my God, I remember once when I was uh, working at a company that that was completely based off of WordPress like there were contractors working on on it, and if if there's one golden rule to WordPress, it's that you never touch the core. You only touch themes and plugins and stuff like that. Like the core, never ever don't ever touch it because that's the thing that automatically changes when you say upgrade my instance. Yep. Um, but but the contractors hadn't heard that golden rule, <laughs> <laughs> so they updated core, and you couldn't. Like it was, it was literally impossible to upgrade. Which the upgrades allow for security fixes and 
um, better technology, faster, better memory, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, we could not upgrade at all. Yeah. It was terrifying. Um, so, so what? So, so it's interesting to me the thought about uh, moving from a monolith into microservices and kind of like how you do that. And I think a lot of it comes down to um, like one of the biggest points out of this talk was your microservice or it doesn't make sense to start an application as a bunch of microservices. Like if you only have five users, it doesn't make any sense to put together the infrastructure needed for a bunch of microservices. Go ahead and build your monolithic app, but build it keeping in mind that if and when you scale, you're going to want to break it up into smaller pieces. Um, and, and, and then once you get to the point where you have a hundred thousand users uh, now it makes sense. Okay, let's start splitting things out. I mean, this is why it took Amazon and um, so so long to to split out into microservices. Although I think they hit the hundred thousand user mark way yeah. <laughs> way sooner than they decided to finally start doing that. Um, but but yeah. So did that Just talk mention up. anything about the? The complexity, that, or the you know the added complexity that comes with deploying microservices versus having the monolith. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I mean, like there there are upsides and downsides, right, to having microservices. Uh, the biggest downside to me is that you have lots and lots of moving parts, and knowing how all of those moving parts work together is really difficult, especially if you're brand new to a team or whatever. Um, but one of the benefits, of course, is that. You don't have to have somebody who knows the entire thing. You can have people who understand how each little piece works. And as long as, um, as long as everybody works together properly and communicates properly, then you're fine. Right. Another downside to microservices is you have to have redundancy. Like it's not cheap, right? So you could have one server that handles this one service, but if it goes down, like if you if you set up your 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 overall application correctly, it won't affect the rest of your of your application. But at the same time, you don't want it to be down. Uh, so for example, in NPM land, we have one server that handles all of our download counts. It's our downloads API server. And if it goes down, then there's just no download information mm-hmm. on npm.com at all. There's yeah. just nothing. Uh, or npmjs.com. Um, so if it were a more important service i mean download counts i know they're very important but if you don't have them for 30 seconds it's not the end of the world Um, we we just don't have that many people visiting our website like to the point where they need that um but if it's something more important like our registry for example well we can't afford to be down for even five seconds so redundancy is key which means money which means well sorry which means hardware which means money uh, which means time, setting everything up, and making sure that everything's load balanced and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it means that your uptime is much better because you can allow one thing to fall all over and everything else will still stay up. Right. Um, yeah, so. I guess it's, yeah, the overall complexity just, it, it grows, I guess, but you get you get a more robust system if you do it right, I guess. And But right. you have to get to a certain point, like you said, where where it actually makes sense to do that. Um Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, I, I guess when this whole microservices thing started, 
you know, a lot of people were advocating, or this, this, this the things that I heard was, you know, it's it's so much better if you break everything up into microservices because you can have, you know, different teams working on things completely separate, et cetera, et cetera, but not really, you know, mentioning the fact that, well, it doesn't always make sense to do that if you're not past a certain size, I guess, or maybe have a certain type of application where that totally makes sense. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, so I wonder if this is just, I wonder if this like node and WordPress thing is, is kind of WordPress saying, okay, <clears throat> we're ready to start breaking into microservices. Let's start doing this. I don't yeah. know. I'm totally guessing. Well, the thing that I but... read was this, that, um, the, you know, PHP, I guess was, was sort of PHP and the, or the combination of PHP and JavaScript, the way they were doing it was holding them back from doing, you know, new and exciting things and, and moving along with uh, where mm-hmm. they wanted to go, I guess. So they, and, and I th- don't think this was the first attempt either to do this, um, but it was obviously the first one that succeeded. So mm-hmm. they wanted to get to um, basically API only or API first, I guess is what it's called. And, mm-hmm. you know, just have a, a JavaScript client on the front end. Cool. Yep. Cool. Yep. Very It'll be very interesting to read what's what's coming there, so... Since I'm yeah, definitely. In API stuff, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of API definitely. stuff, um, mm-hmm. so I've this is the only thing I have been doing this week, um, <laughs> other than being sick first and then having a few Aww. few hours. Um, uh, is basically I am I'm giving a talk in February on JSON API. I did this lightning talk that went pretty well, and um, so now I need to basically expand this whole thing to about 40 minutes and of course um, need to go a lot deeper and and understand this much much better so what I decided to do was to take one of the libraries or the library that I decided to use in my own project and actually start looking into it in in more detail to understand not just the library but become more familiar with with the actual standard and that um, that sort of turns out to be very uh, difficult because um, the one thing I discovered is that, you know, software isn't perfect and this library has some issues and I actually found an issue and opened one um, where it doesn't adhere to the standard. So the the thing that I think is difficult for library authors is to, if you're thinking about, okay, you have all these people in node land and you have PHP, Java, you know, .NET, whatever, whoever's implementing libraries for the standard, they all can read the standard, but they all have to basically interpret it themselves and apply that to what they're implementing. And of course, there's no guarantee that they're all going to do that the same way and they're all going to do it right. And mm-hmm. mostly... You know, people writing these libraries are scratching their own itch, so they're implementing the features that they need right now, and not like doing the whole thing, and uh, or maybe relying on on contributors to do more. <clears throat> so there's an interesting sort of spectrum of libraries, you know, that adhere more or less to to the standard. So I don't know. I have to sort of read about this a little more and and, and think about it more. But it would be it'd be great if the authors of the standard would also deliver a, a language agnostic like um, test suite. And since, since it basically, you know, you make a request and it returns JSON based on 
the data set, whatever the data set is, and you could fix the data sets. And so you would know what your inputs are, you know what the data set is, and then obviously based on the standard, a very specific thing is supposed to come back, right? And it's in mm-hmm. JSON. So I think that would be sort of a good use case or, or application of of having like so one source of truth, right, for everyone. Mm-hmm. So then right. you can just build your your test suite against that instead of every single framework or library author having to build, you know, their own tests that mm-hmm. are based on their own interpretation. So Yeah. Oh. Yeah, but Penny, that is like a you're... crazy task. Yeah, you're 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 venturing into the uh like you know, Tower of Babel of, of, <laughs> of languages of, uh, of, you know, software development here. It's like, okay, we all do different things. Let's build this tower. <laughs> right. But it's they like, did oh this, gosh. for example, for um, there's, a, there's JSON schema. It's basically mm-hmm. schema validation for JSON documents. And um, there's this, this language that has, well, it's JSON. It's all in JSON, but there's certain conventions. And um, you can basically build a schema to validate your JSON objects or JSON documents against. And they did this. They actually have, um, because all it is, it's just JSON, they actually have a framework agnostic or language agnostic um, test suite where you can essentially um, include it in your project um, and as a as a as a package or as a um, however your language includes things, and basically use their documents to validate your own library. So that's kind of where I got the idea. So I didn't think of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but still. So so talk me through how does this language agnostic test suite work because like well test suite is maybe maybe that's a misleading thing it's not actually it's not actually the the tests themselves it's the test data okay okay yeah so sorry about that yeah so it's it's essentially maybe it's the data set that that your database Mm -hmm. or that your api would draw from and then it's Mm -hmm. the the response documents the json response documents that would be expected to be returned by a standards compliant API given, you know, these request parameters, this data in the database or whatever the store is, this document mm-hmm. should come back. Right? Gotcha. So gotcha. now you yeah, can, that makes a lot of sense. Now you can say mm-hmm. in your test case, these are my inputs and this is the expected output. And you don't have to figure it out yourself, right? Because that's the right. that's the hard problem, is is that you you have the data but then you read the specification and then you have to come up with your own test case that is supposed to validate the standard, which is not easy. And right. it's, everybody's doing it all over the place over and over and over again, you know? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, would be nice because I found myself when I was, um, you know, working with this library and trying to, you know, I read the standard and I was trying to implement my API against it using this, though. But I had a different understanding of the library author. So then this whole thing came up. It's like, wow, why we all have to read the standard and figure this out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. 
Anyway. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Some good ideas if anybody's out there and has lots of time, <laughs> unlike <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, so many cool things to do, but no time. So, yes. Totally, yeah. totally true. Yeah. Totally true. Oh, the other thing I found out while doing all this is that um, the whole idea that we talked about with Git flow... Or, you know, one of the flows, that doesn't work for me either, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think it's similar to the reasons that you had mentioned for your projects where you you um, or your organization, you do very frequent um, deployments, I think you said. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, yeah, it would be too cumbersome to, uh, to do this whole thing where you have a, a release branch and tag things and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know if you guys tag for releases, but we don't. I mean, the project I'm working on, I might deploy like five five or six times a day sometimes, and it's mm-hmm. just whatever's passed and whatever's in master, it doesn't need to get tagged, it just gets deployed. Right. So. I mean, we use our git commits, our commit hashes kind right. of as like our tags. I mean, they're not... But you don't make a, like a semver tag, right? Right. I mean, yeah. in a perfect world... We would, right? In a perfect world, we would we would publish a new version of the website every time we deployed. But we deploy so often, and that that flow doesn't really work for us. I mean, realistically, all we would need, need to do is create that flow, right? Like we could just do a very simple uh, script that would basically say, okay, when deploying to production, uh, also npm publish and here's the new version with the bumped you know like come up with like a script that basically said right. deploy minor you know deploy minor patch or something but then what's and, uh, yeah i guess for me it's like what's mm-hmm. the point of that like what do i do with it what's what's the benefit of having that because it's not like you're yeah. it's not like it's a library that has to work nicely with other things right it's correct. the thing so, correct yeah, I think, and especially for us, what really matters is the git commits, the, the the commit hash, because if something goes wrong, so the way that we deploy, I don't, I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the show before, but the way that we deploy is we have this really great uh, little task runner that, um, well, so it, it's, it it's uses git hooks. And so when you, so we have two branches on each of our major repos, uh, one called deploy hyphen staging and the other one called deploy hyphen production. And when you force push your branch, doesn't matter what branch it is, it could be master, it could be some working branch. And you, when you force push that to deploy staging or deploy production, then it automatically, like it starts off an entire process and it deploys that code straight to production or staging. And um, and it's great because then what that means is any git commit hash, like any branch at all, you can immediately push to staging or production. So if something goes wrong, you can super quickly roll back, deploy, you know, an earlier commit oh, or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's so, so, so great. And um, and it, it's just, it's really easy, really intuitive. Um, and... I mean, I I freaking love it. <laughs> it's so yeah. so convenient and easy. Um, but you know, I, I know that some people they have like auto deployment systems 
like a continuous integration and deployment system mm-hmm. that will automatically publish a new version and then uh, and then deploy the like you know run the tests, publish the version, deploy the version, and then you know you get a little notification that everything's done, you're good to go. Right. Um, but much to your point, like it's not like people are using for example, the website as a dependency in one of their exactly, projects. Yeah. Yep. So Semver is not as useful in that particular sense. Um, right, and, and I guess if you had it scripted, it wouldn't matter either way. Um, right. Yeah, so I was just thinking in the context of, okay, well, why would I have to go and create a tag? Like, who? what's the point of that? Or who benefits from that? Nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's maybe maybe you can show a nice version on the on the screen or something, it's, you know, 2.5.6 or whatever, instead of, <laughs> instead of that, you know, crazy hash, but. I mean, the one, the one use case I can think of is if, let's say you, okay, so like, again, it depends on your, on the flow of your team in Git, but for example, let's say you merge, or you don't merge your pull requests, you rebase them. And what what results in that, like what that means is if your branch has like 10 commits on it and you rebase it onto master, it's very difficult to know where master was before you, you rebased the pull request. Um, so having tags associated with specific uh, Git hashes or you know, commit hashes would allow you to say, okay, I need to roll back. Let's roll back to where master was, um, as oh, opposed yeah. to some middle commit. But that's why I think people who rebase pull requests instead of merging pull requests tend to um, rebase their branches so that only the it's only extremely obvious, uh, like. This is these are what these commits are for. This is what this branch does, so that you can roll back but very could, explicitly. Okay, I don't know. But the the so you would you would always know what commit hash you had deployed previously, either from logs or maybe you have a link to the previous version. Right. But so you could always you can always access that again, though, right or no? I mean, I think it really depends on how you set up your your environment, yeah. right? Like it's it's one of those things like oh, it's in the logs. Do we log it? <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm asking on on the on because I'm not entirely clear on how rebase works. I tried. I started reading up on it a little bit mm-hmm. um, after you mentioned it uh, the last time, but I yeah. I do not claim to fully understand it yet. So, um, so I was okay. just curious, you know, that if you let's say today you deploy, you know, version X, and then you do some more work, and then you rebase back into master and deploy version Z and it's bad and you need to go back to X, you can always still do that, right? It's not like yeah. X is gone. Right. No, yeah. no, no. It's not. I mean, not unless you you squashed it in a rebase. Um, no. I'm trying to think of like a, a cool analogy to explain the difference between merge and rebase. Um, so let's say you collect stamps, right? Yep. And each stamp is a git commit. So like you're you're working on a branch um, so like you're, you're traveling, you're visiting a new country and, and you're collecting a few stamps and some of these stamps are like really cool. And some of them are kind of like, eh, whatever. But these are your, these are your stamps from Bulgaria. I don't know, whatever. Okay. Um, and so like you put in a pull request 
to your, your collection of stamps and you say, these are the Bulgarian stamps. If you press the, the big green button on GitHub, which is the merge pull request button, um, what that basically says is, let me take my, my envelope of Bulgarian stamps and add it to my collection. And the envelope comes with it. So you can very easily see in your, in your tree, in your, in your log, your, your Git log on master, like here are all the Bulgarian stamps. You can see each individual stamp in your Bulgarian envelope. Um, but like it, it, and so it's really easy to just kind of remove the entire envelope of Bulgarian stamps and you can remove all of your Bulgarian stamps all at once because of the way that, that Git kind of creates its tree with a merge. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are rebasing, what that basically means is you've emptied out the envelope of Bulgarian stamps and now you're going to put each of your Bulgarian stamps into your um, it, into your, your stamp collection. And now if you want to remove them, you can, you can count down, uh, like in your tree of stamps, you can count down to the first Bulgarian stamp. If you remember which one it was, and you can say, okay, now remove all of these Bulgarian stamps if I need to. Um, or you could just, you know, count down to three or whatever. Another thing you can do, but to, the point is that you don't have the envelope anymore. Mm-hmm. It's no longer this, like, these are all the Bulgarian stamps. It just looks like like you, you brought your album to Bulgaria and, you know, put each stamp in individually as you saw fit. Um, this is without though, squashing, though, right? This correct. Is just, this is yeah. without squashing. Right. So this is, this is just a straight up, I have 10 Bulgarian stamps. This is what happens if I, if I merge the, the Bulgarian stamp re, uh, pull request or if I rebase the Bulgarian stamp pull right. request. Um, now squashing is basically you're going through all of your, your, your Bulgarian stamps and you're like, you know, this one's just a picture of, of a rock. It's not that interesting, you know, forget it. I'm going to take this out. Um, and, uh, you know, these two stamps, this one's of a tree and this one's of a leaf. They're, they're pretty similar. So I'm just going to like cover one, the leaf one with the tree one. Cause the tree one seems more interesting, but I want to keep them together. Um, but I don't really want to like. I don't want to lose the leaf one, but I also don't really want to necessarily remember the leaf one, whatever. Um, so that's, that's squashing, right? So you're basically reducing the number of commits that you have on that branch uh, to some smaller number, but it's a little bit more. You're, you're, uh, you're reducing the number of actual like commit actions, but you're not reducing the, the stuff that came with the commits, like the changes, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Unless, right. unless you toss one of those commits out, right? Like right. the rock just wasn't interesting to you at all. Um, maybe it was just a bunch of console logs, like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like yeah. you can just get rid of that. <clears throat> okay. Um, so now you've squashed it and now you have the exact same situation. You can either merge or rebase that same branch onto master. And again, it, it all comes down to, do you have an envelope <clears throat> or do you have uh, a series of individual mm-hmm. stamps that you just put into your collection? Um, things get a little bit more wonky when you're merging multiple branches and then, you know, if you look at the tree, you'll see like these like weird zigzaggy things where it's like, well, then the tree changed and then this and then that. And blah. Yeah. But for the simplest, simplest version of things, <laughs> just think of it as you have an envelope of stamps or you just have the stamps themselves. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so it has, does it have, a, I guess, a lot to do with what the, the Git log looks after all of this, right? So Exactly. If, 
so if you merged all the time, you would have all of these you'd basically have your log cluttered up with these merge operations, which Git rebase doesn't do. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And so when people talk about, I want a really clean Git history, yeah. what they really mean is, I don't want all of these merge, for, I don't want these merge commits, which just say, and then I merge this pull request, and right. then I merge this other thing. Because then your, your Git, your history looks really clean. It's like, okay, so we started off with this one thing on our project. Now we added this new p- feature. And this was a part where we added this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature. And then, so it's like really, really clean. Whereas with merge request or merge, uh, a merge kind of uh, type of history would look like, uh, so here's, so we started off first commit, then uh, somebody worked on this one feature and in that process did these few things. They deleted some code, they added some code, Oops, they forgot a semicolon, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can see, and then we merge that pull request. And then we merge this other branch. And so it really depends on what you want your history to look like and what what that means to you. It's like it's like a statistician looking at data. It's like, yeah. what do you want it to look like? What What matters to you? Do you want to see that your team has been productive and working together? Or do you want it to just look like this application has been growing up by itself? So so basically if if I understand correctly then if you're you would always work on you know branching obviously and bring mm-hmm. bring your changes back into master there's just these two different ways of doing it and if you had if you used merging then you have a whole bunch of I guess noise introduced like meta noise introduced into your into your history or into your log and if you mm-hmm. did it with rebase it would almost look like everybody's always been committing to master. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. But I mean, again, for some people, they want to see that, that meta noise because that meta noise has its own sort of meaning. It really, people are like, will will get really religious about this. Like, no, you must never push the big green button or like, (laughs) no, rebase is really hard and impossible to understand. I just want to push a button, you know? And it's like, yeah. Honestly, it just comes down to what, what, like, what is meaningful to you. What information makes sense to you? What will help you be the most productive? Right. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do, though, be careful not to mix and match because that's when that's when Git gets ugly. Mm-hmm. When people are like, "Ah, but I've been rebasing, and then you just merged, and now I have to like, ah." <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, just okay. You now so. that that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's like. I guess, like you said, it's just whatever you prefer, maybe, uh, or whatever, whatever your project chose before yeah. you got there or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Well, thank you for that explanation. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, think I of stamps from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was either from Bulgaria. Be yeah, it's either going to be stamps or 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 M and M's. I decided to go with stamps this time. Um, yeah. So yeah. No, it's interesting. So, like, I have we have somebody new on our team who it's it's really interesting working with somebody who's been in the industry not as long as you have been, mm-hmm. um, and and kind of learning about the things that uh, kind of scare them about working on a large team for the first time and things like that. Um, but at the same time, it's it's fascinating to see what what 
somebody with fresh with a fresh perspective sees in your code base when they're first introduced to it, right? Mm-hmm. So like in particular, uh, this new team member was telling me that there are a lot of inconsistencies all throughout the code base. Like in some cases we use camel case for our variable names and sometimes we use Python case, which is the, the underscore. And sometimes we use hyphenated case where it's just like, you know, hyphen uh, in between important bits of the variable name or whatever. And he's just like, this doesn't make any sense. Why? (laughs) And I just, I look at him and I was like, you have a very, that is, that is an absolute, that is totally a legitimate observation. Like fact, we mix our cases all over the place. Um, But then I think about like, what is that? What does it really mean? Is it that we're sloppy or is it that, everybody comes to the table with their own kind of styles. And when you have like when you're, when you're brand new or like when you're doing your own project, you have complete total control over everything. Mm -hmm. But when you join a new, uh, when you join a team, uh, you have no control over anything (laughs) (laughs) except for the code that you put in. And so you end up having this like too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing. Yep. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and now you're you're you know you're faced or you you ask yourself well what am I supposed to do right, right? Or exactly. how am I supposed to do it yeah yeah exactly and I just think it's so fascinating thinking about about that that whole process and and I mean and he was very much like I wouldn't say that he was like upset upset about this but it was a little upsetting like you know where's the consistency this is uncomfortable like it was very uncomfortable by it and and i all i could say to him was uh learning to deal with the mess of a code base and then also figuring out how to slowly move it in a direction where it's less messy Mm -hmm. is kind of your job (laughs) exactly no that's that's exactly right yeah yeah. And it's, that's a really difficult thing to do. And, and I think, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to hear more about, I guess, I mean, I, this makes me think of, you know, the, the things that I went through when I inherited either a large code base or I came into a team and had mm-hmm. exactly those things where you, you, you start to, to express your not concerns, I guess, the things that you notice, like you just mentioned. And then, um, when you start to become more confident, you make suggestions on how to how to maybe improve things, and then you run into all sorts of resistance, depending on you know senior people, etc., or objections, maybe, maybe not. Um, I did, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that was that was the, the interesting part. There was that was for for unit testing, and then I just did it, and uh, then it finally stuck, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that that's a yeah, that is interesting. Is there anything else that uh, came up? Or, um, well, I mean, so I did think it was interesting because then later on in that, later on over the course of, of like that day or whatever, um, he was like, "Wait, this doesn't make sense. This other like, there's another inconsistency here." And I was like, "Okay, like, I mean, on the one hand, variable names, you're like, well, it's inconsistent, yes, but it's not world breaking. It's not world ending. It's not." Like, you know, we don't need to completely worry about this. We can fix it pretty mm-hmm. pretty easily, if slowly, mm-hmm. at least easily. Um, but then he caught some other thing that was like, you know, 
this this function I think belongs in in this set of code, not like in this file, not in this other file. And I was like, well, but the opposite of that code. This was uh, adding teams versus removing teams. Um, and it's like, well, if you're adding a team right now, it's in the organizational code, not in the team code. And he's like, well, no, but that doesn't make any sense because in a CRUD app, you should be creating and uh, updating and deleting. You know, like all of these things should happen in the same kind of file. And at that point, I was like, well, you know, you, you bring up a really good point. Maybe our code is in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And and he was just like, oh, I was right. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, no, that's a really astute observation. Like we've been in such a crunch that like we just didn't even think about like, is this really the right place for this to go? Mm-hmm. Is this the right wording of the route? You know, blah, 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 blah. And you just kind of go with it. And there's there's so much, I think, of our jobs where there's like this constant decision making of do I just let it go and work off of what we have or do I actually change it? And make it better or, you know, potentially worse, but probably better because, you know, we're good at our jobs. Um, and, and just that, that balance is a really hard thing to find. And, uh, and he brought it up and I was like, I think you're right. You know, this is what pull requests are for. Mm-hmm. Just change it. Change right. it and, and then say that you changed it and explain why you changed it. And, I mean, if, like... And not not in a way to like say like we should have an argumentative culture, but I think it more of it like a we should have a conversational culture. Like you should be allowed to disagree with things and you know make your points, and then other people can evaluate those points and then come to a decision, a mutual decision about whether or not we agree or disagree or whatever. <laughs> and how do you bring that across to to a new new, new team member? Yeah, um, that's a I difficult thing to do. Like to yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think the only thing you can do is you just have to say, I need you to trust me. Uh-huh. And like, let's, let's try it this way. And if it doesn't work, we'll try a different way. But first, let's try it. You got to try it some way. Because I think, I think the fear will stop you from trying at all. And what you need to do instead of being scared to try it all is to just try something. Right. Even if it's not quite right, um, it's more important to do something than it is to just stand still yeah terrified <laughs> yeah because i mean that, that that sort of brings up the you know the 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 topic of code reviews and things like that and if you mm-hmm. yeah you can step on people's toes and it's so hard to at least if the culture doesn't maybe yet exist or if you have new people coming in to i found it at least to to make that clear you know to sort of create a safe environment that it's okay to mm-hmm. constructively friendly criticize someone or or not someone but something in the code base without right you know being afraid that you're going to make somebody mad or sad or whatever you know Um, yeah that's a difficult thing to do yeah definitely 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 i know that for me especially um i it's hard right because there are moments where you're like oh my goodness my team member completely forgot to write tests for this one thing (laughs) Do I write the tests for them and then say, hey, I noticed tests were missing? Or do you say, hey, there aren't any tests for this and you wrote the code. Do you want to test it? And like, like, how do you say that in a way that doesn't come across as 
well, you forgot your tests. <laughs> right, right. And it's so you know, it's it's different from person to person. I mean, I have a a, a coworker. I can we 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 just say it how it is, and none of us get upset by it. And it, sometimes right. it might you know to other people it might sound harsh or whatever, but it's it's no big deal whatsoever. We respect each other, and we actually work very very well that way, where we. We bounce ideas off of each other and maybe shoot them down or, you know, but not in a, not in a mean or aggressive way. And then right. I try that with someone else that, um, you know, might have been, might, might be new or, or just, just a different person. And that does not work at all. It's right. like they would get offended or, you know, upset, whatever. And it just, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of work strategy doesn't doesn't work so it it's like you have to figure this out how to work with uh you know every person on your team i guess which is makes sense it's normal but uh it does make sense but it's know. super annoying right yeah, i mean it's, it's like you're like oh i just figured out how to communicate with this one team member now i have to figure out how to communicate with another team member right. and you two don't do th- can i just use the same formula because <laughs> yeah. you know we're 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 engineers we're we're developers we're the type of people who are like okay you know if only we could just copy and paste out of stack overflow how do i work with my teammates <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's why i was wondering how how you um you know how do you bring new people in and and explain all this and and or does it just happen? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think, again, it really depends on the person. Yeah. Because we've had some people join the team who they have like 15 years of experience. And all we have to do is say, here are the repos. And they're like, cool, I'm on it. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and that's it. That, that was the extent of our conversation of like for bringing them on. Yeah. But then you have other people who are just like, this is nothing like my last job, which was my first job. Mm-hmm. This is nothing like, you know, I don't understand. What does this mean? What is this vernacular that you're using? How do I do this? Why are you? And like, especially I think, and I kind of almost wonder if it's because when you have 10 to 15 years of experience, you've been in so many different environments that change is normal and just you just kind of like watch for a few days, figure out how it is that people work. And then you're like, okay, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. But if you're newer, then you don't know how things are supposed to work. The, your first job, your first job, I think is always easier because you just, you're just like, well, you tell me how to, how to do things. I know yeah. nothing. Uh, but the second job I think is harder almost than the first job because you're like, well, okay, I know how to do things. And then you show up and you learn that they do things completely differently. Yeah. You're just like, now I have to unlearn all the things that I just did. Yeah. And it's like, well, what if I don't like the way that you do things? What if I liked the way it was? And, you know, and um, so I think that's, I think that's, it'll be interesting as I gain more data points mm-hmm. about uh, how many years of experience people have had and how many jobs they've had and uh, how, how much easier they are at adapting to new environments. Yeah. Sure. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> well, that is a uh, yeah. It's a it's a it's an interesting topic and uh, yeah, one that I don't think you'll ever yeah you never stop learning. You just no have to figure it out as you go. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Alrighty. So our Slack channel's been oh it's been it's been kind of fun lately. Um, mm-hmm. it's been a little quiet. I've but just I think sort it's sort of on the periphery been listening in. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's been a little bit 
yeah, it's been kind of quiet. But then again, it's Thanksgiving week. Yeah. I don't know if Europeans know that, but, you know. <laughs> Some do. <laughs> some do. No, some do. I felt so bad. Somebody pinged me the other day and was like, help, help. I need help with NPM. Oh, this was yesterday. And it was like 2 p.m. on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, <laughs> which in the U.S., you might as well not even try, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, but I was I was in the office and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, you need help. And like, sure enough, they were from Europe and they were like, everything's broken. Help, 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 help. I have to get this thing fixed before tomorrow and we're like and i was just like okay you need to send a message to support and you have to tell them it's urgent and you have to do it now (laughs) because in three hours no one will be available to answer your question for four days so like if this is important to you like do it right now and they were just like oh my god oh my god thank you for telling me that right now (laughs) i was like if like honestly if they had pinged me even an hour later i would have been like it's too late everybody's gone (laughs) Yeah, I mean, most people take Friday. That's that's a given, but you know, yeah. some of them take the whole week off. So yeah, no, it's, it's totally hard. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's it's funny that I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, are there any new? I think I think I added one or two people to the list. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um. So shout out to Poots, P O T S. <laughs> I don't. I mean. You know, great. Uh, and GNCL Moray. I'm I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that name. Um, right. uh, welcome. So, welcome to our Slack channel. Yeah. And um, you too could have your name shouted out on our podcast. All you have to do is join our Slack channel. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if we missed you, um, just let us know in the Slack channel because, yeah, yeah. it's kind of hard to... I don't know. There is there is no tool to there's no no view to see who joined when. So we have I to know. scroll through everything, which kind of stinks. It but yeah, it totally does. And what's up with that uh, Slack? It's so I great for everything else. I know. Come on, Slack, get it together. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have um, we have one new iTunes review that I <gasps> think we haven't read yet. That was yeah. from, must be because it's six days old so um this is from wy wave or y wave okay and uh it says uh, very informative five stars up-to-date discussion about current events technology web and software development many topics from well-informed ex uh, experienced hosts wow um (laughs) (laughs) forum you haven't listened been listening long have you (laughs) (laughs) forum open to all uh to all to discuss following the show. So uh, thank you very much. Very Yay. nice. Yeah. And if you uh, haven't done so yet, please uh, take a moment. In the show notes, there's a link that says rate us or, or yeah. Yeah, it says rate us and uh, it will take you straight to, to the iTunes um, link where you can then write the review or just give us a, um, what do you call it? A rating so please do that if you have two minutes it would be nice please. thank you please yeah and and you know if you yeah anyway yep. that's awesome i will i will give you an e-cookie <laughs> um there isn't much to the e-cookie except for the knowledge that it came from me All um right. <laughs> so uh yeah so i think i think that pretty much that's it wraps I don't it have up for today else, yeah yeah, me neither. Short I think week. 
we should do instead is, you know, go hang out with our families. And, exactly. Um, so one thing that I do like to do every Thanksgiving uh, is I like to think about what I'm thankful for. Um, and uh, this year I'm very much thankful for this really awesome podcast and this really awesome community. And uh, honestly, if it wasn't for Khalil pinging me one day on Twitter and being like, hey, do you want to be on my uh, on my descriptive podcast uh, and I was just like, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it opened up a really awesome, amazing community of people and, and opportunity. Like all I, I, I've always wanted to be a host on a podcast and here I am a host on a podcast, a co-host, of course, very, uh, very cool with some really awesome co-hosts and really awesome listeners. So thank you to all of you for making my weeks just that much better. Well, thank so. you for taking the time to do this. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so um, excellent. Yeah. Yay. All right. Well, in that case, uh, y'all can find me on our Slack channel or on Twitter. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter uh, at RockBot. Um, and you can find our podcast at ReactivePod uh, also on Twitter at uh, that 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 handle's not particularly busy. It's really just a hey, look, a new episode. Yeah. Um, but but that's when you know there's a new episode out. So there you exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm Henning, and you can find me on Twitter at hclattergots, and I am not a spy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. And if I was, I couldn't tell you so. <laughs> All right, that's a that's a conversation for next week. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> because because now now we know that that Khalil is also a spy. Uh, I mean, who goes to Munich, really? Yeah, uh, you know. So I was exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great uh, week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Um, thanks, don't eat too, too much. <laughs> yeah, don't eat too much, or if you do, you know, at least watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Lots of napping. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Bye.